0: Welcome to the Razam Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 41. And this is an interview special for which I am delighted to be joined uh, by Wendell Kimbrough. Wendell, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Great to be here, Joel. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Uh, you're in Alabama, I think, is that right? That is correct. You're the, I think you're, home. you're the first, um, Alabama, sweet home, Alabama. It's good. You're the first person I think we've had from Alabama on the podcast <laughs> at the moment in the UK, we are going through something that's being called by the, the, uh, the media, the beast from the East. And we've been plunged into Arctic temperatures. Nice. So I'd love to, uh, I'm guessing that in Alabama, you're not in Arctic temperatures, but you know, something far more temperate.
1: Yep. It's, uh, it's about 70 degrees and sunny outside. Um, this would be like actually it's a high of seventy seven Fahrenheit today, so um you know you could go to the beach today and have a have a decent um have a decent go go at it you know <laughs> you really wouldn't um, want to do that here so, you, would, yeah.
0: you would get very cold and you so so just tell us a bit about yourself there you you work in i think it's the church of the apostles and what you do there and so on
1: yeah so i have um I have a neat job here. I work I work for this uh small Anglican church, um, little town that's called Fairhope. And um I'm kind of like a part time worship leader, part time songwriter in residence. And um they um they basically I, I lead the Sunday music and kind of typical kind of worship band sort of job, like um we use volunteer musicians and I pick out the music and rehearse with the band and oversee the sound team. And I have about maybe 20 volunteers that I'm working with. Um, And then uh, as, and this is kind of the more unique part, just as part of my job, I'm also tasked with writing, uh, writing songs. Mm. So um, when the church, when the church was, um, Trying to fill their next their, the the position for their next worship leader, they uh, they read a book by a guy named David Taylor, who is a, a professor at Fuller Seminary in Texas, and it's called "For the Beauty of the Church." It's like a collection of essays on um uh, on kind of like casting a vision for the arts in the church and david uh, is a friend of mine i met david at conferences and he um his book inspired this church here my church in in fairhope and they they um they said look let's not just hire a, a worship leader let's hire somebody that's a, that's a like musician trying to kind of like make it and like let's help them um do their their work as a musician and writer um and let that kind of be like like an artist in residency at the church, so mm. so that's me now. I'm uh, I'm here, and I write my way through. Um, I've been writing my way through the Psalms the past couple of years, and um, those have turned into um, records um, that I put out, and I tour around a little bit, and lead psalm singing concerts at other churches
0: yeah so i've i mean i've been listening to your new album which came out really recently and we'll we'll chat about that a bit more because i really want to ask about some of that sure where does your yeah. songwriting journey start then does it start in the church or how did you get going in songwriting
1: yeah you know i um i was real inspired by the kind of like <laughs> actually like the um the idea that uh Christians should be you know kind of out in the world like making music that is mm. beautiful and true but not necessarily like explicitly Christian um and so well, actually when i started my my career in music i was not i had no plan of being like a christian musician so to speak oh. um i was not i was not initially writing for congregations i was writing Kind of indie folk um, music, and uh, you know, heavily influenced by like James Taylor, Randy Newman, yeah, um, kind of folk singer-songwriters, Joni Joni Mitchell, um, mm-hmm. you know, people in that that kind of vein. And um, so, I really like cut my teeth as a songwriter, just doing songs that were intended for me to perform not um not for a congregation to sing and that was I was living in Washington DC at that time I was there for about 7 years and I was working as a singer songwriter um but also as a part-time worship leader at an Anglican church plant and um kind of I mean it's it's a long story you know kind of how I made the move from like writing kind of quote unquote secular singer-songwriter stuff to congregational stuff. But yeah, one way of putting it is that just like over the course of several years as a, as a worship leader, I found often that I wanted songs that didn't exist. Yeah. So, you know, like I loved hymns and I was like big into traditional hymn- hymnody and we did a lot of hymns at that church in D.C., But, um, and I was, you know, and we did some like kind of modern contemporary, um, worship stuff as well, but, um, initially I kind of thought hymns were like where it's at, you know, because there was like a lot of times like richer or more kind of narrative theology in the, in the old hymns. But, um, but then, you know, we would do like a sermon series, uh, on like the kingdom of God you know in in the gospel of mark or something like that and you start looking back through your your hymns and you're like there aren't actually that many hymns that talk about the kind of vision of the kingdom of god that we're discussing you know mm. <laughs> on sundays mm. um or or you know i mean and this gets into this most recent record like um you know our what do we do with our pain and our grief and our um you know, like our longing for justice to come in, in in the world. Like there aren't actually that many hymns that like lament yeah uh social injustices and, and uh you know so so just kind of it it I think there was like this kind of hunger for me as a worship leader to have songs that gave expression to stuff that neither my beloved hymns nor um like most of the kind of contemporary worship movement yeah. stuff was was really speaking to. So uh, then, and I'll just, you know, kind of fill out the story a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, when, when I actually, when, when we moved to Alabama to do this job, um, the kind of artist in residence, songwriter in residence thing here at this church, I wasn't really sure what I would be doing, like if I would keep writing kind of folk singer-songwriter stuff or what. Um, I had gradually started writing some stuff for congregational worship just here and there, like maybe one or two songs a year. Um, but when we got here, my pastor at this church said, hey, we want you to produce something for us that will help us sing the Psalms each week. And right. And we follow the lectionary in our church. So, yeah, so each week we have a Psalm appointed for the day, and my pastor just said, you know, give us something we can sing to go with that psalm. So um the kind of format that they had used some in the past was was like just a short refrain that kind of is used antiphonally with a with a reader. So yeah. It's a lot easier to show this or demonstrate it than it is to like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. explain it, but it's it's pretty simple actually. It's like, you know, it's like I I write like 4 to 6 lines of melody and text that kind of captures what I think is like the heart of the psalm, and I, I sing that to the congregation, they listen, and then they try to sing it back to me, so and then, and then, so then we sing it together, and then a reader reads like a paragraph of the psalm while I kind of play the guitar in the background, and then we sing the refrain again, and then the reader reads a little bit more, and then we sing the refrain again, so... Mm-hmm. By the end of the psalm, we've we've probably sung the refrain like four or five, maybe even six times. So the challenge was to write something that was, um, that's short enough and simple enough that people can hear it one or two times and already pick it up. Um, but then to also write something you know every week that went with that psalm for that week. So. It kind of just put me in this like songwriter's boot camp for, for yeah. the, of the Psalms, wow. you know? Wow, yeah. Um, and i and, and I just, I love it. I mean, I, I really just fell in love with the Psalms. I mean, I, I always loved the Psalms, but singing them and writing them, kind of translating them into music has just like totally grabbed my heart. I mean, I, yeah. I, um, that's that's really what I want to do now you know it's like what I'm doing with my life in terms of my my career as a songwriter is like trying to make trying to make singable versions of the of of the psalms you know for the church to sing so because I believe in it so much it's been such a important thing for me so
2: may i god be known for his grace may the earth rejoice in his bless. God be known for his love and the smile that shines from his face may your way
0: I wonder whether um, I mean there's so much actually there that I'd like to ask you about because I, I think it's I think it's fascinating sure yeah the yeah. first thing is you you mentioned your your influences and one of the things um, it's a very obvious comparison to make but listening to some of your stuff, it, stuff you hear James Taylor you hear those kind of influences and that Um, One of your, um, I think, characteristics as a songwriter that I've picked up is the light touch with which you write melodies and handle words. Even though you're sometimes dealing with quite complex things in them, um, in in the same kind of vein as people like Joni Mitchell and, and James Taylor and so on, there's a... It's a rare skill, I think, to be able to mm-hmm. kind of write an album full of stuff, and you listen to every song and just think, "I could sing that. I could sing that one. Yeah, we could sing this. We could sing." You know, <laughs> sure. there's always there's always one or two that you hear and you think, "Well, that's never going to work in my church." And I I just wonder whether is that light touch is that something you had to work on? Or has it come from this idea of instantly immediate melodies for the for the congregation to be able to sing? Have you how have you
1: cultivated that? Well, first of all, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I do work on it and cultivate it, um, some, uh, and then some of it, I do think the process that I'm in has kind of dictated some of it to me, so, um, I mean, I've always had, like, a set of convictions about congregational song, like, I was a really picky worship leader, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, like... What what I was going to sing on Sunday, I wasn't going to put a song in front of my congregation on Sunday if I didn't think it was singable and if I didn't think people could really enter into it and kind of make it their own. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a pretty strong critic of songwriting for congregations in that sense. Um, but you and I both know like being able to critique other people's songs is not the same as writing good yeah, ones, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of things, one, just, you know, really credit to the Lord and this process with my church that I kind of just feel like I fell into. Um, yeah, like r- when you're writing something new every week to go in front of your congregation, you, you, um, you want those to succeed, you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and like, I very quickly... Very quickly realize like the ones that uh were working and the ones that weren't, and w- even without the congregation like giving me any kind of it's not like we sit down and they give me like a formal critique yeah. at the end of the service, yeah. like well, you know that part was strong, and this part was weak, but just by just by trying to teach the song to them and watching them respond to it, I can kind of I can kind of tell like where the melody is tricky and where it's yeah. not you know like where where it's resonating and where it's not resonating and so just just having to keep something simple enough that people could pick it up after one or two listens and um and being able to just see week to week like well that one worked and that one didn't mm. um that that like kind of forced me to just focus on you know what's working and um and actually and one th- another thing it did was it kept me from spending too much time um uh, trying to like perfect an idea because because in a way like I learned I I really don't know if what I've written I don't know quite how it's going to work until I teach it to a, yep. a group of people and watch them try to sing it like that's that's actually how I how I grow as a writer you know is by like calling something finished enough to share and then sharing it. Yep. And then listening to how it's received and how they how they sing it and then going back and either trying to fix it or just saying, well, that just wasn't that great of an idea. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to move on to the next one. Or in some cases it's like, wow, you know, that one really resonated, you know, and people really sang it great. Yeah. So
0: Do you have songs then that you that you would have written and taken to the congregation, tried out? And then gone away and worked out and actually developed and taken back again in a slightly different shape. Or
1: yeah, so actually, so like if you if you put my my record in and you listen to it, what you're hearing is kind of the like um, greatest hits of the last year and a half. Mm. Um, out of that that process of weekly writing, and then um, and and you're actually hearing the like expanded version of those songs. So, um, what my congregation would have heard on Sunday might be just the chorus or just the first verse of one of those songs. But then when I get kind of a, when I basically, I get a green light, you know, from my congregation, like, Hey, they really loved that one and they sang it really well. So that one's worth, put that's worth like figuring out what to do with that one. So then I take that one kind of back to the, like the workshop, you know, and, um, figure out, well, is what I've written, is that the chorus or is that the, you know, the the, the verse or, you know, how can I express the rest of this psalm, yeah. you know, in a way that will um, connect, you know, with that initial refrain idea. So, so yeah, yeah, that's, um, uh, most of the time, even if the initial idea was really strong, I still come back with some, like, thoughts about how I could improve it or expand it or whatever yeah
0: that's good we'll we'll talk um again in a moment a little bit more about the, the the most recent project but you also you were involved with the porter's gate weren't you and the um the recent work songs album that came yeah. out and i have a yeah that was fun. i have a i have a little story about this which i have, we've got a slightly dodgy connection here for the yeah tell me about it. so i hope this comes across but um my son is uh i've got a son called huckleberry which sounds much more like a a child from alabama than from the midlands of england um but he (laughs) does he (laughs) He, um that's right is he's two and a half and we just we've just started potty training would you call it potty training in the states what do you say when they stop wearing a a nappy or a diaper and they start using so we'd say potty training and that's that's it's what we call a, it. Um, yeah. So basically we we had this process where um there is a point to this where my um the first day That's good. We just sort of did it in a kind of short, sharp shock thing. first day, my wife had him all day and it was take off nappy, take off trousers, anything like that, and you just watch him like a hawk. And the moment you see he's about to, to use the, the he's about to go, you you just rush him to the potty and try and get him on there. And I think it was a sort of <laughs> 50% success rate or, or something like that but by the end of the day he'd actually he could walk off and yeah. go and sit on it on his own and so on so it's really good progress and we were, we'd been reading a book and so the day two was okay now as soon as he can do that you put a pair of trousers on him so day two was put trousers on and repeat the same process and I I did um day two was my day so my wife was out at work and I I we went through seven <laughs> pairs of trousers, and I did not have one success that day. <laughs> and we even dried dried some of them in between. But anyway, where this is going is at the end of that day, yeah. I got out that Portersgate project, and I put on "Your Labor Is Not In Vain," and I oh. listened to it eight times in a row.
1: Oh man! <laughs> <And> that,
0: <laughs> because that was that was my experience. Of, oh my gosh! And, but uh, and. Uh, but a what moment. a what a profound song. Um oh. so, I know it's a slightly comical way into it. No, but that's actually great. That's... A, a very profound song dealing with a a subject we don't always deal with. I'd love to just know about a little bit about your involvement in that project and how that how that song came about.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, well actually I, I love that story and I appreciate it. Um and honestly, you know, one of the things so that we that we talked about at the Porter's Gate um gathering in new york where we where that that record got recorded mm. um was how so many kind of faith and vocation conversations are very like privileged and very like lofty you know it's like well they 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 focus on like this kind of glamorized vision of vocation that really only like wealthy people can afford to have mm-hmm. where it's like you know, you graduate from elite school and you, like, really figure out, you know, exactly what it is that God's called you to do and you go, like, you know, just live live this beautiful life, like, doing this thing yeah. um, that you are uniquely passionate about, you know? And in reality, like, most of the world doesn't have that luxury, you know? Um, and so a lot of the it's part of the conversation, which was really impactful for me, like was just kind of trying to step the conversation of vocation back down to like planet earth, you know, where most humans live, where mm-hmm. like work hurts, you know, like work is, can sometimes just be a slog, you know, like it, it can literally like, you know, wear your body out and, and, um, wear your heart out and feel discouraging and frustrating. and, and just that it covers, you know, a wide variety of stuff from from being a mom or dad at home with a kid where like you're <laughs> you're changing trousers every <laughs> you know tw- 20 minutes with with like seemingly no end in sight and yeah. like you know you're not like feeling God's pleasure in how you um yeah. you know in as you change pants or whatever you're um or you know a job where you're like there's no glamour to it you know you're like you're like cleaning up the you know the bathrooms at the at the middle school or whatever, yeah. um, And it's like if our theological reflections of vocation like don't touch all of those things, then they're not they're not um, they're not God's vision of vocation because God like dignifies and loves all of His people yeah. in the work that they do. You know, so um, not just those who get to do like cool sexy things with their lives or whatever, you know? So, um, I could talk a long time about that conference. I could also talk a long time about that song. I will just say, without like, just digging totally into everything about it um, and taking up the whole conversation, um, there's a short story by um, J.R.R. R. Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Are you familiar with that? No. You come across it? No, It's... It's. I'm not even sure where or how it was originally published. Um, I found it in a, a thing called the Tolkien Reader, um, that has his like own fairy tales essay in there, and, um, it's a it's an interesting story. It's kind of allegorical, even though um, Tolkien said he hates allegory, okay. um, <laughs> and and uh, it's about this guy named Niggle, who is a painter. And he spends his whole life trying to paint leaves, like, like um artri- artistic representations yep. of of leaves, like a single leaf at a time. And it's like he's perpetually frustrated; like he never gets very far. He's always getting distracted by his obnoxious neighbor. He um he basically kind of spends out his days like never quite finishing a painting or getting really getting very far in. the story kind of second half of it, he he dies and he like basically gets to kind of go into the afterlife, into heaven. And in, in heaven he he um he sees the tree that that is all of the leaves of his life that he was trying to paint. Oh. And it's like there, and it's part of the like new new creation, yeah. you know. And it's it's like this glor, glorified vision of of the thing that he was like always frustrated trying to kind of somewhat accomplish in his life. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a beautiful story. I heard a sermon where the 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 pastor, who's actually a Brit a guy named Matthew Mason, um, kind of used this um this this tolkien story as kind of the like theme of the sermon, and it just it just killed me man i i just um I wept and wept uh yeah. it, during that that worship service um and i i think I, so I, I will just say this the song is inspired by in some ways by the feeling that I had when I heard that sermon and when i when I read that story right um this feeling of just, just kind of like, it's crazy how much pain and how much frustration there is in the day to day of our lives. Mm. Um, we almost kind of have to numb in some ways in order to kind of just get through, you know? Um, and, and, and that's even in a, you know, a good life. Like, I feel like I'm pretty privileged and yeah. have a, you know, a lot going for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but uh but there's so much pain in our work and like just the the thought that um god will bring to fruition in some way like all of the half finished ideas and all of the dreams that we had that we didn't get to actualize um all the hopes that we have for ourselves and the people we love like um that those things aren't just lost in time, you know, and, like, forgotten, but that, like, God cares about those things and and perhaps in some way will, like, bring those things to fruition in a way that we could scarcely kind of hope or dream for, you know, yeah. in this life. Like, that's really what I'm—I'm I'm trying to capture that in this song. Yeah. Um, and then just literally it comes—it's Isaiah 65— is kind of the text that that set me off running on it. So,
0: hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting that it comes you, you you speak about it coming from beginning in your own experience of of um, absorbing that idea and how it what it meant to you. But actually, the the song that you write isn't isn't a does not come from a personal perspective, it actually comes from the opposite perspective doesn't it it's it's i mean I, it it sounds like it's it's something that's speaking to us and it's very scriptural, yeah, and actually the words that really resonate as you sing it and as you listen to it are, are are the voice of God speaking to us, aren't they right and that's quite a it's that strikes me as quite a challenging way to write a song,
1: yeah, and that's hey you know it's funny it's um that one's a little mysterious to me in how it exa- exactly came about. I mean, I, I guess that's me saying, like, you know, when I was tasked with writing for this project, like, I sat down and started looking for scriptures that spoke to vocation. Mm. But, like, when I when I start, when I'm trying to get into the emotional space of, like, what do I want the song to feel like and and um, what do I want it to evoke in people, it's like... At least for me, and, and they may not even come through at all in this <laughs> song, but it's that feeling I had with with leaf Leaf by Niggle in that sermon. Um. So, and then you know, I I got to just say too, I can't take all the credit for that song, um, at all. Um, I mean, maybe, I might maybe I can't take all the credit for any of my songs <laughs> actually, but um, but that one is it is a co-write, and so I sent that off to um. Uh, To Isaac Wardell, the producer, and he and some other guys, Paul Zock, um, sat down and kind of... They basically rewrote the chorus. I had a more wordy chorus that was um, a little more like... uh, I think it was like, I'm with you to the end of the age, and I will uphold every promise I've made. Or something like that. It was a little more wordy, and it was... um, um, It was the same kind of sentiment, you know, but it was... um, I love I love what they did with it a lot more like just stripping it down to that just simple I am with you I am with you I am with you I've called you by name yeah um your labor's not in vain like that to me that's way more powerful <laughs> like sometimes saying less is saying more and, and um so I, that was a really great co-write experience cause I was like yep I like this song twice <laughs> as much now as I did before
2: um, your labor is not Oh, the rocks they cry out and the sea it may groan. The place of your toil may not seem like alone, but your labor is not unknown. I am with you. I so it's a I
0: mean it's a song that, that picks up on this sense of struggle in life, and obviously that's something which is then been very much the theme in your most recent album so that's the album has come to me isn't it that's right isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um and it's a you've taken their psalms of lament and struggle and so on and i've heard you, you or i've heard or i've read you, you you talk about how um pertinent and and relevant it seems in in your or today's climate whether cultural societal political and so on what is it can you sort of expand some of the things that have really resonated yeah.
1: with you yeah. when when doing this so you know over the last couple of years singing a psalm each week with my church um I mean obviously you know there a, a lot of different ones have resonated at different times but there've been some really particularly profound moments when like something awful has happened in our world mm. and uh like the shooting at the the African American church in Charleston mm. um was one and and it just so happened that week that the lectionary had us singing, um, a psalm that was kind of like a lament and, um, without really realizing it, like we just kind of stumbled into this experience of singing a psalm that acknowledged the heaviness and the brokenness we were feeling, mm. um, and for, for me, at least, it was just enormously powerful. And it was like, man, I really, I realized like I have a really deep longing for church to speak to the stuff that I'm like wrestling with, crying out to God about from Monday to Saturday. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it does feel like um at least american society is kind of like fraying um i mean i'm just thinking about these school shootings and um racial uh acts of racial terror yeah, absolutely um just the 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 great like fear of the other that seems to be so strong yeah. in our in our culture right now um and those things like man i mean they are burdens on on you know if you're like awake and walking through your day um here like those things burden you you know you you worry about them if unless you just you know put your head in the sand and don't listen to the news um and just pretend that the world out there doesn't exist like um those things are really burdensome and yeah. and uh you know again like I don't have a lot of, like, modern praise music or old hymns necessarily that, like, give voice to that experience of carrying those burdens. But the Psalms do. And in a just shockingly, like, prophetic and clear way, you know? It's like, um, I mean, just stuff that I would... I just never saw there before, you know? It's like, um, it's like, (laughs) it's as if David... You know, or the psalmists like uh, you know, are writing like right now for today. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like they're they're so um they're so applicable. But I think that I think that the psalms a lot of times we we're like so familiar with them that we kind of glaze over some of that stuff. Like we are we miss mm. it. We don't realize like the emotion and the way that they like speak to the um sometimes we just miss what they're actually saying. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like writing through them and um, and setting them to music and like really having to sit down and say like, well, what is this psalm actually saying? And then finding, oh, it's talking about something like what we just experienced with this like shooting at a school, you know? Like yeah. um, that's, that's what this psalm is talking about. You know, an act of violence was committed against... You know, against against people who who didn't um, who didn't incite it or deserve it, you know, and, yeah. and um, uh, and we're crying out to you, God, like, how long, you know, are you gonna let um, uh, let our children be be killed, you know, mm-hmm. um, when are you gonna do something about it, God, and. Anyway, so I'm I i can not even remember your original question. Now I'm kinda that's lost in my thoughts about okay. the psalms here, but well, that's um, I mean that's so that's the I'll kind
0: of thing I was bring that, us back I was I was thinking about. And but you don't actually take a psalm and just kind of set it to music, do you? As far as, far as I can tell. You you absorb it, you try to understand right. it and and try and, and sort of re-express it. So one of the, the songs that I particularly liked just on the first few listens to to the recent album, it's not long till the day of the Lord. Yeah, Psalm thirty-seven. I had a quick look through Psalm thirty-seven, and I'm—you'll probably tell me I'm wrong now—but I couldn't find that that phrase in it. Right, right. And yet the whole—maybe um, it is, but but the whole psalm says that. Yeah. In in a sense, it's kind of—it's yeah. all saying he is going to put things right. He's going to sort of just hold on. You can and and so how do you go about that process of of taking sort of distilling the essence of it and then. Re- re-expressing it but staying faithful to it
1: yeah you know and it's taken me a while to kind of get to where i i feel confident about doing that um and i'll and i'll kind of just tell you where kind of where i am on that like um because i used so i grew up in a in a tradition that was very kind of biblically literal you know Mm. like very focused on you know, like, well, is that the exact, you know, word that the, that the scripture says or whatever? Yeah. You know, don't distort scripture, you know? Um, so I actually kind of had a like phobia, you know, yeah. of, well, I can't, it's one of the reasons I think I, I didn't, I didn't initially even ever try to write songs for church. It was just like this fear of getting the theology wrong or something like that. Um, but I really, I've kind of come to the conviction that, um, you know, God gave us a big book of poetry in the middle of our scriptures, mm. and God could have just given us 66 books of epistles, you know, of Paul kind of unpacking theology and clarifying things that aren't clear, yeah. and um, and he didn't do that. You know, mm. he gave us several different genres of scripture, and... And it's just you know it's it's kind of awe inspiring and just to sit back and realize that like a lot of the scriptures are like storytelling yeah. and then uh, then you know this whole big section in the middle of the psalms are poetry and why would God give us poetry you know um, and I think I think it's because he he wants us to feel the truth of the of the story like he right. wants us to be able to be intimate with him which means being emotionally honest with him. Mm. And, um, you know, you can't have a very deep relationship with somebody if you can't talk to them when you're angry at them or when you're hurt by them yeah. or when you're afraid, whether it's by them or at them. You know, just, you've got to be able to kind of bring all your emotions into the relationship in, for, in order for that relationship to be very deep. And like, God wants a deep relationship with his people. You know, that's like, kind of the cry of his covenant, like from beginning to to end of scripture, like he wants to marry us, you know, he wants us to be his bride. So I, you know, I think it's, um, I've kind of come around to this place where I'm like, okay, I'm trying to take these beautiful ancient Hebrew poems and translate them in such a way that they are deeply moving and powerful for people right now, you know, in this context. And I want them to, I want my congregation, I want me to be able to feel the emotion that, um, that, 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 um, hopefully that like David would have felt when he wrote this or that, you know, the ancient Israelites would have felt when they sang this Psalm. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I'm I'm a little bit off on a, in in the weeds or like on a rabbit trail here, but I just it's like I've felt I've felt the fr- not just the freedom of like, oh, it's okay to rephrase stuff, but actually like I a lot of times I need to rephrase the psalm in order for to for it to like have the emotional impact that I think is necessary for it to be a good translation of a poem. Hey, you know, like if you if you translate a poem that's moving in the original language, yeah. And then you you move it into the, your your language, and it's no longer moving anybody. Then mm. it's not a successful translation, no, right. you know. Like yeah. it's it's just a like a a a port- It's it's a it's a facsimile, you know. It's a um. It's not the it's not the it's not doing what the author intended that poem to do when he wrote yeah. it. So, um, I think that you know, like a Eugene Peterson kind of approach of like, you know, I want the text to move people. Um and of course I wanna, you know, I want people to I don't I don't want to like mislead people, yes. I don't want my I don't want my psalm translations to like be uh wrong, you know, (laughs) or like um opposed to, you know, the gospel or or um good theology. So I try to you know kind of keep an eye on that and yeah. have other people that can speak into that but but um yeah, it's like if i'm not if I, if what I'm producing is not able to move people, then I'm not successfully translating the poem from the original language into my language, if that makes sense.
2: It's not long till the boastful are silenced and shamed. It's not long till the wealth of the wicked is reclaimed. And the ones who have waited with eyes on the Lord will shine like the sun forevermore. It's not long Till the day of the Lord. Just be still and be faithful
0: and dwell. I think maybe your your grounding as a singer songwriter, first up. Where you were taking, where you're, you're, you know, you're, you're creating poetry. You're creating it out of your experiences, and you're, you're finding a kind of a comfortable voice in doing that for you, and in, in expressing. But maybe that's fed into this, helping you to then be able to shape these kind of concepts and do it again in, in what always comes across as quite a, a natural voice in the way that you're writing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought a lot about that, but I, I do think. Yeah. It's like if you're sitting in a, if you're doing a house show and you're sitting in somebody's living room and you're playing songs for them, um, and they're not impacted and moved by it, then you're not going to keep singing that song eventually. You know, once you've done a few shows and nobody's responding to that song, you're like, well, that, that ain't working, you know, like (laughs) yeah, if if people aren't feeling it, then, um, then I'm not going to do it. And, in church so much we can get lost in well the theology's right and it all rhymes yeah, so yeah. you know let's do it Um but if it's if it's not moving people then
0: yeah I feel challenged by that actually as a songwriter myself I think one of my weaknesses uh in in writing is that well no so for example my wife always says to me why have you never you write all these songs to Jesus why have you never written one for me <laughs> and um she's right I haven't because I there are parts there are parts of me that's where I struggle expressing conveying that emotion whereas i feel like i can kind of turn my pen to to um i can i can turn my hand to writing stuff in the church context and maybe more successfully engage with that emotion but maybe i as a songwriter would actually find i would grow if i had i just took it as a discipline to write my own you know try and write my own songs expressing my life thoughts experiences and so on even if mm. i never share them with anybody sure but just to get more comfortable with that voice
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I I think because there is, there definitely is part of songwriting that is just being honest about what's going on inside of you, Mm. you know, and, and that's not always easy to do. Like, you know, (laughs) um, to, A, to figure out what, what you are feeling and thinking, you know, and then to be vulnerable and to share it. Um, with someone else is hard um, and I think I mean even though that's it's interesting I really hadn't reflected on this much before, so I appreciate the right. suggestion kind of connecting these dots but but yeah like on some level when I'm sitting down and trying to put the psalm into my own words, even though I'm working from a text that in essence you know is objective like it's not my I didn't write. The original psalm, you know, so I've just got this text that's sitting there in front of me to work with. But as I'm trying to like rephrase it, I am kind of trying to just be honest about, um, about me, yeah, you know, and about my experience. And so, if 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 the psalm is a you know lament about, um, you know the wicked who are um, prowling around and seeking to destroy the person writing the song then i'm like well what you know what experience do i have that is remotely relevant to that and and believe it or not like usually there is some yeah you know there is some yeah. feeling of like oh yeah i remember that that time that i felt i felt like you know i was going to get mugged or um you know i felt like the world was out to get me and that that Situation, and it is kind of in a way I'm mean, kind of telling my story, or at least trying to write in a way that's authentic to my own experience while also being faithful to what the psalmist is saying.
0: I, I, I was just wrote down while you were saying that I was thinking uh, it, It's it's like inhabiting the text yourself and then and then and then speaking yeah, isn't it that's and good maybe that's a, a way of expressing it and totally. um, you on so on the the uh, on the come to me album you um you worked with Isaac Wardell we've had Isaac on the show cool um and um as as producer uh just tell us a bit about that experience how you, how you worked together
1: yeah so this is this is my second record working with Isaac and um uh Isaac's great he's he's um He's really the first producer I've worked with. So, like, in the past when I've made records, I was basically the producer. Yeah, and um, I have really appreciated having someone else who is saying, "Yeah, that's working" or "That's not working." Um, basically, you know, you get decision fatigue. Yeah. Of <laughs> Uh, your brain gets tired of making decisions and when you get tired of making decisions, you start making sloppy decisions or, you know, for me, I slip into being like a people pleaser. If I'm tired, like I don't have good boundaries, you know, and I just want to make everybody else happy. And, um, and so, you know, like that's not really a way to make a good record. Like if you're in the studio and, you know, somebody has an idea that they're throwing out there and it's just not working. Um, somebody's got to say, yeah, that's not really working. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and, um, I, I remember making that first record with Isaac. Isaac has no problem saying that. And, um, <laughs> and I was just like kind of in, in awe, you know, kind of in awe yeah, of his, yeah. like his ability to just say, you know, not, not worry about, you know, whether he's going to hurt somebody's feelings or something, right. but just kind of like, nah, that's not working. Let's do something <laughs> different, you know? And it's like, hey, you know, we're all professionals and we just kind of like move on, you know? It's like, yeah. it's not the end of the world. Um, and, you know, whereas working on my own, I'm like way more prone to just kind of like belabor an idea and try to figure out how to make it work. And yeah. like, you know, um, you you got to have somebody that can just say the word no, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the studio with you. So Isaac's, Isaac's been great about that. Um yeah, and this this second record, like you know, I'm kind of try to think about, um, you know, it was actually a little bit of a challenge in some ways. So like Isaac and I had made one record together, and and it went really well. We were trying to do some, we were trying to make sure that this record didn't sound like the last one. Yep. And um, I mean, it was still still going to be me, but we wanted it to have a different character and a different flavor, and um. We you know we actually kind of hit some bumps in the road and there were some points where like I was not real happy with Isaac and right. um we weren't communicating communicating very well and we kind of like yeah we kind of had to have a conversation about midway through the process where I um was frustrated and I just needed to tell him that yeah. you know and needed to like put that out there and it actually was kind of a turning point for us in the record, but also just, like, in our relationship. I feel like um, it's a little bit of a, like, parallel to the whole thing about the Psalms and lament, Um, and it's like this, if I can kind of capture the vision, it's like um, when Isaac and I kind of Butted heads and then we're able to like kind of talk through that Mm -hmm. and like sort that out. Um, It resulted in a better record than if we had never kind of had that problem, if that makes sense. Um, And, and I kind of feel like that's a little bit of an analog to the, um, to the Psalms of lament in general. It's like if your relationship with God, like doesn't have space for anger or sadness or like conflict it like isn't it doesn't go very deep you know yeah and um at least for me like w- when i have an argument with god like i feel closer to him after the fact <laughs> <Wow>. yeah yeah <laughs> um it it's like it's like it's like going there going to this kind of this kind of harder places in a relationship leads to more fruitfulness on the on the other side of it you just have to press through and and deal with it so um it's funny, I hadn't really talked about that much because it's, I mean, it's not that important in some ways to the record, but um, it was great working with Isaac because, like, when I did come to him and say, you know, I'm not real happy with this or I'm frustrated about this, like, he, like, handled that really great. Yeah. And we, um, you know, we were able to kind of talk it out and, like, make adjustments and... um and actually, you know, and I'll just say this to, again also to his his credit like Isaac's hand is a little heavier on this record than on my last one. Um like it's got it sounds a little more like Isaac than the than the last record yeah. did. Um and uh he worked pretty hard on this one like he he did a lot of the overdubs of like synths and the different sounds that kind of give it textures that you feel not so much you might not necessarily like notice a part you know like oh what is that Mellotron play, yeah. or whatever but yeah. kind of create the mood of the record mm. and um, it's just cool because I i feel like this is I mean I, I love this record and I, I think it's um, I, I, I'm i really happy with what he kind of brought to it Um, and I think I like it better than any, any of course better than anything I could have made that I was like just singularly trying to express my own vision for it so yeah i'm really happy with it
0: that's a, a it's a really i mean it's a fascinating story but it's such a i think a helpful insight and an honest insight as well i think maybe sometimes we imagine um everything is is smiles and um roses and all the rest of it when we do things in the in the christian world but actually that, yeah. that the way you've connected it with actually the whole point the whole point of the gritty reality of it um it, it just makes so much sense. And I think that's yeah. I think that'd be really helpful for our listeners to hear yeah, as well. Good. Um Wendell, I'm gonna to have to wrap things up. Sure. Um it's been such a, a pleasure to speak to you. We're so grateful to you for sharing some of your insights and experience. I do have one final question, and this is the one we ask all of our um interviewees. Yeah. And it is this. Um we have been granted the power to rewrite the history books. And you are able to claim one song written by somebody else, and have it as your own. So, so the question is, um, what 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 song by somebody else would you love to have written? And and given the power that
1: we've been granted, we can uh, we can uh, give it to you. What would you choose? I love that question, Um, and it's funny. I'm like, if I had more time, I'd probably have like ten different answers. But um, yeah, I know. Sorry, but with absolute clarity absolute clarity right off the bat it's uh louisiana 1927 by randy newman oh lovely it's just such a killer like, song oh i love that song that's good do you know that one you'll have to look it I'm up i'm gonna i'm
0: gonna look, put it on as soon as we as soon as we get off i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go and listen to that one. Oh, that's fantastic wendell again thanks so much for joining us
1: yeah joel really enjoyed it thanks for thanks for bringing me on man <laughs>
2: The flood around me is rising The water's up to my neck My voice is worn out from crying Oh Lord.